Here we are. We're back from our dinner break. Yeah. Took a break to eat some pizza. We got some pizza, some salad. Some salad. <laughs> it was okay. It was a bad salad. It was fine. The le- the the lettuce was like wilted. I feel like in my head like and a warm. bad salad is one that's like gone bad. <laughs> Whereas ours was I won't get sick. <laughs> no, we definitely won't get not sick. Not a high bar. Am I but... satisfied? Absolutely not. Will we get sick? No. Do you know what I've been wondering? Welcome back again. It is Tuesday night, May 7th. <laughs> this episode comes out tomorrow, May 8th, in less than about 12 hours it's going to come out because I'm an idiot and I <laughs> don't laugh at me. Um, this is how my week is going. Um, I cleaned my Mac, trying to, you know, make some space, make my video games run better. And I accidentally deleted our episode. Just clean it out in the trash, which, to be fair, no, I did not look at a file titled YKW IBW episode 10 and was like, don't need that, and deleted it. I deleted the individual inputs of our voices because they okay. didn't have names. <laughs> and that's well, th- our 10th episode. It is. Wow. And Clean My Mac was like, oh, these are untitled documents that are really huge files. And I was like, you're right. And I should have just checked what they were, but I was like, oh, those are probably, like, old versions of the episode that didn't save. Nope. It was our inputs. (laughs) And now I know I gave them new names. They're now titled Jane and Sarah, always. (laughs) (laughs) So that I can always find them. But here we are at a second pass at episode 10. Take two. Take two. We have pizza on the way. (laughs) I'm going to have a little editing party afterwards. We're going to try and erase our memories of everything we yeah, learned. Yeah, I'm going to try to forget everything you've ever said. <laughs> Just going to do a full wipe at, like, my computer. A full wipe. Um, <laughs> try again. That's how I'm doing. Jane, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I think I must have allergies or something. Mm-hmm, or I'm, just, I'm a little under the weather. Yeah. Which I had coming. Because I, honestly, the past couple weeks i've like have been actively noticing like wow i i feel really healthy right now oh and you know when you think you're healthy that's when you get that's sick, when you get so. really sick yeah that's when you get overconfident and the universe is like uh-uh, here's Mm-mm. some germs flew too close to the sun on that one what was it you you were like oh i have something to tell you but i'm gonna wait until oh I, I forgot <laughs> until this moment so i have a starbucks gift card right now because i just had accumulated a lot of change so i brought it to a coin star machine and had like 90 dollars that i just put on a starbucks gift card and i've been going there almost every day on the way to work mm-hmm. um this one particular starbucks location and I, <laughs> I went there yesterday and i ordered a medicine ball which is it's not on the menu it's like a secret item I don't i've never ordered it. a secret it's menu two item. tivana teas i think it's i'm assuming one has ginger in it no, it's peach and mint, something like that. I don't know. Ooh. With honey in it. But it's really good, and it always makes my throat feel better. But I got that yesterday, and this one barista took my order. And either he recognized me and remembered me from that, mm-hmm. or th- I've just become a face that they expect that comes in every day. <laughs> <Little> <laughs> Around one forty-five. <laughs> because <laughs> today i ordered a medicine ball again and they didn't ask for my name oh and i'm pretty and <laughs> they threw it together pretty quickly but i apparently didn't notice because i was standing by the pickup area like playing a game on my phone listening to music and then <laughs> a couple minutes went by and i looked up in confusion and the barista who was not the guy who took my order yesterday but was there said um jane you're Tea is right here. <laughs> it was like sitting on the counter. Oh my in gosh, front you're of me. a regular. And now. I was like, not. I was like, I didn't give you my name today, which means you remembered me from yesterday. That's so funny. You're it was a just so funny now. the way he was like, Jane, it's there. The like, as if he knew me. <laughs> yeah, he probably does now. The proudest moment of my Muhlenberg career was when Chava Joe's, which was our school's coffee shop, came mm-hmm. to know me and came to know my <laughs> order, and they would see me standing in the line, and they would just like. Oh. 
pull out a cup and like start it so then I would just have to pay for it it was the sweetest if you are listening to this and you ever worked at Java Joe's I appreciate you so much (laughs) I spent all of my money in college at Java Joe's but it was so worth it because they were so kind and so sweet and treated me so well and every once in a while they gave me free drinks when I didn't when I hadn't even filled up a punch card yet (laughs) the one time this was like the shadiest thing one time Java Joe's was selling these like green tumbler mugs and the deal I asked about it and they were like oh yeah if you buy one they were expensive they were $40 but they were like but you get free coffee from now until the end of the semester there was like maybe a week and a half left and all of January and I was like does that include like specialty drinks and they were like yeah (laughs) the like manager said this to me I was like okay so I bought it, of course, because $40 is a lot of money, yeah. but that's way less than I spent in a month at Chava Joe's. Yeah. So I did that, and I bought one, and I went the next two weeks. I got, like, all my lattes, whatever. I was, like, in shock that I was getting this much for free. Came back in January, same thing. And about a week and a half into the semester in January, which the January semester isn't that long. It was towards the end. Someone, there was a, they were training a new barista because they got new staff between the fall and spring semester and they charged me for a latte and my thing and I was like no I have the thing and they were like no that only applies to coffee and tea and the manager was like oh no 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 no, not her she can have whatever she wants in there nice <laughs> and, I was like, what? and I was in shock and she was like you have been so nice to us since you were a freshman like you come here every day like I know you've earned it like you work so hard because like also the fine muse would hang out at Java Joe's yeah. so it wasn't just like I was coming and going I was in that area all the time And they were like, yeah, no, you come here all the time. Like, you are just the nicest. Like, you can absolutely have anything you want for free until the end of January. I was like, wow, I've been so blessed. All right, it's time to get into it. It's time. Again, Jane, tell me (laughs) once again about About, Anne of Cleves. About Anne of Cleves. All right. Take two. Take two. So, Henry VIII. Yes. King of England. King of England. He had six wives. Mm-hmm. The famous rhyme that school children often use to remember them. Which I literally never heard until we listened to Six the Musical, but okay. <laughs> I had heard it once before. Okay. Um, anyway, they, the rhyme is divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, to indicate how all of their relationships ended. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are here to talk about sure. the... Fourth and most overlooked, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. I think we can say that with confidence. Anne of Cleves. Um, she's the second divorce that he had. So the story that everyone tells about Anne of Cleves, that is how she is known, is that the king is looking for his next wife. Jane Seymour has just tragically died after complications from giving birth to his son. Oh, tragedy. Edward. And... He sends Hans Holbein out to paint all of the eligible young ladies in Europe. And the king... I just love that job. Like, can you imagine if, t- if like, there was someone's job for Tinder? They worked for Tinder. And they were like, okay, you're going to go out and find, in New York, all the eligible bachelor, like, bachelorettes. Like, this is your... Yeah. This is your goal in life. Like, and bring them back to me. And Not even. Just, like, take a photo of them <laughs> and bring them back. Like, what? I mean, we kind of do that with Tinder now. It's just, like, looking at pictures. But it's, it's not one person's job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if one person was in charge of all of Tinder. Well, apparently the, like, guys that Henry VIII, like, sent out to, like, size up these women felt uncomfortable doing it. <laughs> good, 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 good. And they were, like, in this position where they had to come back. Well, they're, they're, like, all, okay, they're also well, picking their future she, queen. Yeah. Like, she she has a mole. He, like, she, her eyes are blue. Like, and Henry's probably like, no, no, tell me. Like, how hot are they? How and, Game you know. of Thrones should pick their next king. Yeah. <laughs> or queen. Um, uh, the king sees Anne's portrait, thought she was beautiful, and agreed to marry her. And then when she arrived, uh, he thought she was much uglier than reported. And because of that, their marriage was unconsummated and brief. There are some truths in there. Some lies, but we'll get into what's real and what's not. Let's talk about Anna Cleves. Let's. She was born on September 22nd in 1515. A Virgo! (laughs) Yes, she is a Virgo. I love her. 
which she totally is a Virgo. Um, she's born in Dusseldorf. She was the second daughter of John the Third of the House of Lamarck, who was the Duke of Cleves. Every time you say Lamarck, I think of that one Les Miserables lyric that's like, Lamarck is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that whole song plays in my head. <laughs> Lamarck is dead. Um, he was the Duke of Cleves. Not whoever that guy in Les Mis was. <laughs> <laughs> he was like a very important revolutionary. Ooh, maybe that's something we should add to the list. Explain the thing, like what the particular revolution in Les Mis was. Because it's not the French Revolution. Oh, it's like a, it's like the pre-revolution. It's like, or is it a post? I don't know. There was like four. Th- that's, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Her mother was the Princess Maria of Julekberg. And Anne's father, John III of House of Lamarck, was a Renaissance thinker who was a patron of the Renaissance scholar Erasmus. Now, Erasmus, I'm probably saying that so wrong because it no, sounds that's so pretty weird right. coming that's out of my mouth. Um, that's how I've heard other people yeah. say it. Um, he's a Dutch Christian humanist and humanism is the outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stretch the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasizing common human needs and seeking solely rational ways of solving human problems. And humanists still believe in God. It's just that they believe that God would want them to be nice to other humans and take care of people in need. Right. Which I think is very nice. Yeah, that is very nice. I um, like that. I know. I would consider myself a humanist in that way. The Cleves court was liberal and fair with low taxes, and the Duke made a great effort to maintain calm in his land during the religious uproar that was happening in Germany in the 1520s and 30s, which I think was happening throughout most of Europe. And because of his ability to maintain calm in his kingdom, it earned him the name John the Peaceful. Oh. And he died in 1538 when Anne was 23, which is one year before she marries the king. Mm. So even though her brother William is the one who's arranging all this and is really in control of her, it should be noted that her beliefs are more aligned with John the Peaceful than with William the... What's the word I'm looking for? Opportunist. There it is. Oh, there we go. In... I'm sorry. Are you a chicken? It's been a couple days since I learned all this information. And so now I, we're learning it again. I for, I, all right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. So in Germany, where she's from, highborn ladies were not expected to sing or play instruments, but Anne was exposed to thoughtful political ideas espoused by John the Peaceful. Wow. And that will come in play later. Later. Yeah. yeah. Anne was religiously flexible shall we say because she was born and raised a catholic and her whole family was catholic including her brother william but when her father passed away and her brother william became duke he decided to align politically with the protestants and he had a protestant marriage so they were a protestant nation politically even though their whole family was catholic Okay. Um, and it's because they were right. They were. It was because they were against all the stuff the Catholic Church was doing, like taking money to get mm-hmm. into heaven, which I still don't remember what the term for that is. Oh, we were talking about this the other day. <sighs> I'm just gonna Google it. Yeah, it's driving me nuts. In the other way that Anne was religiously flexible is that indulgence. Indulgence. It's yes, that indulgence. was it. Um, was that Anne kind of followed the lead of Henry VIII and where she aligned herself politically because okay. he was very. Changing his mind every day. What's the word? Yeah. He was very wish flip Wishy-washy. Wishy-washy. And he technically, like, was a big hand in the Protestant Reformation, but also, like, kind of changed his mind every day about how he felt about people who were devout Catholics, about right. whether or not he respected them or right. considered them. And he was also working really hard, at least in the tutors he is, um, yeah. <laughs> he was working really hard to mend his relationship with the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Oh, but by the time she passed away, um, she had officially declared herself Catholic um, upon Queen Mary's request um, that she identify with Catholicism, because, you know, Queen Mary. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloody Mary. Cutting off the heads of all the Protestants. She would officially return to Catholicism, and in her will she requested that she have the suffrages of the Holy Church according to the Catholic faith. So, Henry III's wife, Jane Seymour, dies of postnatal complications, I already said this, after giving birth to his son Edward in October of 1537. And there's a two-year gap between Jane's death and his marriage to Anne of Cleves. 
A lot of romantics believe this is because he took so long to get over her death because he loved Jane so much. And he did love Jane very much, and there's a lot of historical evidence to support that. However, there is less than a month between the time that she died and he officially started looking for a new wife. Okay. It was only that the negotiations and the search for the right woman took that two years. Right. It sounds like a reality television show the search, the search for, the for the next queen yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um henry's advisor thomas cromwell wanted him to marry for political gain and henry's previous two marriages were both to english noble women who he just saw in court and was into so he decided to marry them yeah so that didn't really help england and in made any way. them his wives lady in waiting <laughs> i see your game yes. he does it so many times yeah he does it three times i know he does that to Catherine howard yeah. while he's married to anne of cleves yeah. so <laughs> yeah, it's literally his pattern like you there have to be people in the castle that's like oh no every time he's like hey look i got you a new lady in waiting like it's got to be a sign yeah we see what you're doing, Henry. We see it. I see you. And I bet your wives did too. And they were like, ah, gosh, darn and it. The Tudors, the show The Tudors, which is my entire historical reference for this, <laughs> that and Six the Musical. Um, and totally knows. Anne Boleyn totally knows. Oh, she totally does. And Thomas Cromwell was probably trying to avoid another Anne Boleyn because <laughs> him falling in love with a woman in the court and deciding to marry her is what caused all the chaos in, in the first Henry's place. life anyway. So, not your best move, Henry. Yeah. So specifically, Thomas Cromwell wanted him to um, find a Protestant wife and form a Protestant alliance with a nation outside of England. And Henry agreed, but because this was his first marriage that was arranged where he wouldn't know his future wife beforehand, he was really concerned with her physical appearance. Roll size. Um, <laughs> Men. He wanted to marry someone attractive and he was quoted to say, the thing touches me too near. And keep in mind, he did want to produce a second son. Because, right. you know, when you're king, you have to have a spare and an, an heir and a spare. And he already had the heir. Right. But everyone was like, well, what if something happens to Edward? We got to have a backup. God forbid Mary or Elizabeth become queen. So that's why he had Hans Holbein paint the woman before he would agree to marry anyone. Right. I just feel like, and again, I'm basing all of this off of watching the Tudors, but I feel like there were so many women in that show who were like, all right, you have to go on a boat and go off and marry this guy for our political gain. And they didn't get to see him beforehand. I they know. Were just like, I just, all right. I can't. And Anne of Cleves didn't get to see him beforehand. No, and, she did not. Yeah. There are four women who were seriously considered to marry Henry. Christina of Milan who was 17 at the time and rumored to be a great beauty who was sought after by many. Marie de Guise, who we know as the future mother of Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh, love her. Mm -hmm. And she was the widow of the Duke of Longueville, and she was tall and beautiful and had already proven herself in childbirth. She had had at least one son with the Duke of Longueville. Mary, Queen of Scots, had not been born yet. And the other two being considered were Anne of Cleves and her sister Amelia. Christina of Milan. I just want to say that I love that name, Amelia. Amelia. Christina of Milan and Marie de Guise both rejected Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, his first three wives had all died and all of them were rumored to be Henry's fault. <laughs> <laughs> rumored. Confirmed. <Yeah. laughs> Everyone kind of thought that Catherine of Aragon had been bullied to death. She was. <laughs> to be clear, she um, was. Anne Boleyn had obviously been beheaded by him, and Jane Seymour had just passed away from postnatal complications, but the rumor going around was that because her labor was so long and the baby took so long to come out mm. that a lot of people were like, well, I bet Henry just had her cut open to have the baby come out and she died because of that, right. um, which is not true, but that is what people thought. So it was just kind of the public opinion that if you married Henry VIII, he was going to kill you somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so no one wanted to marry him. <laughs> so that's why Christina and Milan and Marie de Guise rejected Henry. Christina of Milan was quoted to say, if she had two heads, she would risk it, but she had only one. So <laughs> she didn't want to marry him. And she used this excuse that she was distantly related to Catherine of Aragon as, oh, I can't marry him. I'm related to his first wife and that's wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> we, everyone knew the real reason. Yeah, we knew. We knew. And Marie de Guise got out of it by marrying the King of Scotland. And Good. 
giving birth to Mary Queen of Scots. But at the same time, it was beginning to look like France and Spain were going to join forces against Henry for papal supremacy. Like they were going to, they were both Catholic nations and they were, they were, he was worried that they were like going to go to war against him to fight for the Pope. So the political urgency of finding a Protestant ally was looming and was becoming a very big issue. And Thomas Cromwell was really pushing Henry to just, just marry the pro- one of the Protestant girls. Like, just marry one of the Cleves girls. It, the country needs it. Right. And Henry was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Agreed to it. But first, he sends Hans Holbein to paint both. And all four of these women agreed to be painted, even though they didn't want to marry Henry. They're like, whatever, you can paint me. <laughs> <laughs> Free picture. <laughs> uh, but Hans Holbein, he was sent and he painted both of the Cleves girls. And that is how Anne was settled on. But William, the Duke of Cleves, was kind of sneaky because <laughs> he knew what Henry was up to. And I think he was worried that the king would see the pictures and would find anything that he didn't like about them, even though I'm sure both of them were lovely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when the women, when Anne and Amelia went to be painted by Hans Holbein, they wore veils to cover their faces. <laughs> Just to add to like the... <laughs> so sneaky. I love it. And obviously, he saw enough of them to be able to paint them because portraits of them exist. And people who knew Anne agreed that the portrait was a fine likeness of her. Right. But it didn't look unlike her. Right. It just didn't have a lot of detail in the face. It had a lot of detail on the gown she yeah. was wearing. And <laughs> you can see, like, every individual bead. Like, painted <laughs> Her face is just kind of like a face. It's yeah. Fun. It's like, but yeah, it does look like her. It's just kind of like more of a police it's sketch vague. than yeah. a <laughs> it's detail. It's more of a police sketch. <laughs> it's more of a police sketch than a Da Vinci, you know? <laughs> Which, speaking of, the picture of Amelia, like, Anne at least got a painting. Amelia, like, it literally is a sketch. Really? Yeah, I looked it up. Well, that's not fair. Do you think Hans Holbein was like, I won't even bother, he's gonna pick Anne? Like, (laughs) well, no, I wonder if he just sent the sketches back and Henry chose based on those. And he was like, well, he chose this lady, so I'll make this one pretty. Like, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But again, it's it's a lie that she looks nothing like her portrait. Other people who knew Anne said that she looked like the painting. Yeah. Other factors, though, that might have contributed to why Henry thought she looked so unlike her painting, or was said to say that she looked so unlike her painting, was that when he first met her, she had just arrived in England in December after a month-long journey from Germany that was mostly on a boat. I'm sure she was So she was probably under the weather. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And by the time, so by the time the marriage was agreed upon, (laughs) France and Spain decided not to go to war with England. No. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. So there was no longer a political need for Henry to marry Anne. Right. But at that point, they had both already agreed to it. And I think it would have been considered shady for him to be like, no more will I marry her. Like, never mind. I think it would have been, it would just. (laughs) Can you imagine it was like a royal decree? Never mind. (laughs) I think it just would have looked bad. The optics of it wouldn't have been great. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Like, Not your best look, Henry. She's too ugly and there's no political reason. Yeah. Um, which is what he was thinking. But, like, he was already... Looking for ways Gone off of the... What's that term? He when, Like, when you've gone off your food. You, like, aren't in the mood for it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he didn't want to marry her anymore. He was over <laughs> it. Yeah, he was over it. But they, it was already agreed upon. They might have had a pre-contract. It was too late. She arrived in England on December 27th, and the king grew impatient waiting to meet her. That poor girl was on the boat for Christmas. I know! (laughs) She missed it. Anyway. The king grew impatient waiting to meet her, so he went in disguise to meet her on New Year's Day of 1540, and the imperial ambassador, Eustace Chapwees, recorded everything that happened in their first meeting, and this is what it was. Oh, there's a police car whooping in the background. Um, (laughs) Are you communicating with it? Yes, we're talking. Um, Okay. The king, do you ever, with cats, just meow back at them? Yes. And it's like you're having a conversation, but who knows what you're saying. Yeah, what you're saying. Can you imagine? What if we're offending them? (laughs) What if we're cursing at them and we have no idea? They're just being like, hello, and we're being like, you're awful. (laughs) You suck. (laughs) I don't even like you. (laughs) The king to Anne of Cleves. This Aww. poor woman. Again, we're on team Anne. 
I love her. <laughs> so the king and his five friends put on cloaks with hoods so they couldn't I'm be recognized. I'm sorry, I just like... <laughs> <laughs> the king and his only five friends. <laughs> just the five. The five of his friends. Yeah. <laughs> went, put on cloaks with hoods so they couldn't be recognized. And they went secretly to where she was staying in Rochester. And she was standing... In her chambers, looking out the window at bull baiting. Me going on a date. <laughs> Rolls up with five friends, dressed inconspicuously, <laughs> so you don't know who was who. Well, we gotta size him up beforehand, so we can agree he's good for you. Right. <laughs> which is literally what was happening. I know. <laughs> so she was looking out the window at bull baiting, which I, th- I don't know exactly what that is. I assume it's mating cows or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we were doing for Henry. Mating that cow. Um, <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. I didn't want to call her a cow, but he was. Um, he walked right into her chambers unannounced. He grabbed her and kissed her. Oh. She, not realizing who he was, and again, she's 24. This is a 48-year-old man who's overweight because he doesn't exercise because he's got many injuries from his life of jousting over the years. I don't know. This large man double your age just comes barreling into your chambers and grabs you and kisses you she does the natural thing that i would do and she pushes him off her i would do the same thing mm-hmm. he offered her a gift which he said the king had sent her as a new year's gift and she thanked him and was as polite as she could be considering um, yeah considering and they had a bit of a conversation but she mostly avoided eye contact and continued looking out the window which like mood you know <laughs> another thing i feel like i've seen that tweet all the time that women have become masters of just avoiding eye contact with men on the subway oh absolutely <laughs> yeah like this is what she was doing um averting her gaze but the king's ego was all bent out of shape so he left the room and changed back into his fancy clothes and he came back in and then Anne realized who he was. And he and she bowed and she humbled herself and was very, very respectful. Uh, and they were reported to talk together lovingly. And then he took her by the hand and led her to another chamber where they amused themselves that night and again the next day until the afternoon. So they had a first, they lay, they hung out, you know? Yeah, they went on a date. <laughs> they got to know They each had other. a one-on-one, as The Bachelor would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they seemed to get along fine. Yeah. Uh, but he apparently was very displeased with her. But I bet it all has to do with he was, like, just grumpy. Because when, when she didn't realize he was the king, she was like, ugh. Yeah. If someone of Henry's size and stature did that to me, I would be like, yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. But he was probably like, well, when she didn't know I was the king, she wasn't attracted to me. She only, I want her to love me for me. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley Ashley Tisdale starts playing. (laughs) But they, I think they got along fine, but they had very little in common. Though Anne tried really hard. Apparently on the boat right there, she had the king's men that came to come get her teach her how to play card games that he liked. Oh, and, like, she asked him really questions sweet. about things that he liked doing and things he was into. That's and really sweet. Tried to learn and, like... She did her best. Yeah, she did her best. She's so sweet. She also didn't speak very much English. So, <laughs> a conversation probably didn't come that easily. Right. But on January 6th, they were married, but the king was already looking for ways out of it. And he spent their entire marriage trying to get a divorce. I know. He didn't even give her a chance. Uh, he gave her those two days, but he was, like, angry that she wasn't into him. Grumpy gills over here. Yeah. Their marriage, by all accounts, was unconsummated. Everyone agreed with that. Although, Anne is so sweet, and she didn't really know that at first. Oh, my I God. I think she did not get proper sex education. Um, sex education is still a problem in this country, so we relate. <laughs> because... At first, when they were married, and people asked her if their marriage was consummated, she said that it was, but then when she explained, she'd say, when he comes to my bed, he kisseth me, and he taketh me by the hand, and biddeth me good night, sweetheart, and in the morning, kisseth me, and biddeth me farewell, darling. (laughs) Oh, this poor girl. (laughs) So she was like, yeah, we're totally doing it. Like, we're sleeping in the same bed, he kisses me. (laughs) That's like what kindergartner's concept of marriage is. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, my parents hold hands, and therefore they are married. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But on the day of his wedding, Henry said to Thomas Cromwell, My lord, if it were not to satisfy the world and my realm, I would not do that I must do this day for none earthly thing. 
Which is kind of rude. Yeah, that's so rude. <laughs> I'd rather like, do anything. It's literally him saying, if she was the last woman <laughs> on earth, I wouldn't even do this. I would not even marry her even then. Yes. Like, get, the, get out of here. She's so pretty. <laughs> and then the morning after the wedding night, Thomas Cromwell asked the king, how liked you the queen? And Henry replied, I liked her before not well, but now I like her much worse. Oh. Which, again, he's just so rude. He's yeah. so rude. He's just a bitter old man. I bet you what happened that night is, like, he just went in there and expected her to, to you like, know, jump on him. Jump on him <laughs> and be the one making all the advances in the bedroom. But, right. again, he was a... <gasps> the pizza's the here. Pizza. <laughs> Hold Wait, on. You're in a better place to get up. Can you get up? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Hold everything, everyone. We have We have food. <laughs> But later in their marriage, like, when someone finally explained to her what consummation was, she agreed, like, yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) Can you imagine that talk? Yeah. Whoops. (laughs) With the Queen of England. Yeah, really. Um, So four things contributed to Henry's desire for an annulment of the marriage. It wasn't just how much he he disliked Anne. Um, Because I do think they kind of formed a friendship <laughs> i feel like they had to have become friends because he does when they divorce name her like yeah. his sister like you have to like someone yeah. to be like you're gonna live as my sister and get all the stuff i won't spoil but get all the stuff yeah. she gets you know i mean i do think he doesn't want to cause drama and make it look like he's doing horrible things so he's like no i'm doing this nice thing it's better for everyone it was for i think it was for public pr um but it, his dislike of Anne was one of them. The foreign policy changes. He no longer politically needed to be married to her. Right. Um, his attraction to Catherine Howard, who <sighs> had already been made a lady-in-waiting. Yikes. His next wife. Um, he was totally into her and might have already been sleeping with her. And there are rumors that she was pregnant <laughs> while he was still Does married. she have a lot of miscarriages during their marriage? Because I know she never gives birth. I think she had one miscarriage. Oh, okay. In the Tudors, there's, like, one time where she thinks she's pregnant, and then she's like, uh, it turns out I wasn't, but... Gotcha. I don't know. Um, anyway, um, the, the, so, Catherine of Howard attracted to her, and the fourth one was that the marriage was entirely the doing of Thomas Cromwell, like I said, like, he was the one who was really pushing her mm-hmm. to be the queen, um, and his courtiers, like, his men in his court had were really fed up with Thomas Cromwell because they thought he had literally been controlling the king. Right. And they were done with that and they wanted Thomas Cromwell out of there because they wanted the king to not be controlled by this guy that they didn't really like. Right. So the they were constantly telling the king, like, you're only married to her because Thomas Cromwell told you to be. You should get rid of him and get rid of her and then you'll finally be <laughs> Break up with free Cromwell. To be king. Yeah. Break up with Cromwell. He's ruining your life. Um I would also like to point out regarding the consummation thing, though. Sorry, I know I'm doubling back. No, you're fine. Um, that Henry had a couple contradictory statements that he kept saying oh. in order to, like, get out of the marriage. Um, one, he said that she wasn't a virgin when he went to sleep with her because her breasts and other parts of her body were loose. Ew. <laughs> Which, get out of here! Yeah, like, get out of that! I, uh. Men, stop. Also, I hate that phrase in talking about women's bodies. It makes me feel gross. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah exactly. But he also kept saying after their wedding night that he left her in just the state that she was born. Meaning, she yeah. is a virgin. Yeah. So you can't be like, I did. She wasn't a virgin when I married her. But also, like, she's still a virgin. That's the proof that we didn't come Maybe also he was saying, like... Just the state she was born. It was a little shady. Like, um, well, I didn't do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but she was born. Oh, true. She was born. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was born a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, she was not. Not my Hufflepuff mom. No. She totally would have been a Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. But the way that they officially got out of the marriage, which, by the way, their marriage only really lasted six months, but they officially, like, had both parties agreed to the annulment after four months. Like, they were... Mm-hmm. May 1st was her last time that she appeared as the royal consort, which she never even got a coronation. They weren't married long enough for them to put one together. Um, but May 1st... They, again, they got married in January, and they were considered in the process of separation by May 1st. Yeah. So, four-month marriage, uh, pretty much. But the way that they officially ended the marriage was that 
They found out that when Anne was 11 years old in 1527, she had been previously engaged to Francis, the Duke of Lorraine. Later, the engagement had been called off. However, they had made a pre-contract, which I didn't know about before this. I didn't know pre-contracts existed, which is basically a document that both of them signed being like, we will marry each other and only each other. Mm-hmm. You will be my the person I marry. I'm agreeing to this now. Yeah. And they never officially got the pre-contract nullified. Oh. So it was technically illegal for Anne to marry Henry. What happened to Francis's marriage? Like, did they turn around there like, hey, you? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, <laughs> hey, you, you're also not legally married. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because they found this, like, loophole that she couldn't legally marry anyone but this guy Francis. Yeah. Um, it was the first time that Henry ended a marriage that everyone in England and around the world was like, oh, yeah, like, you, like, that's You legal. can have that one. We'll give you this <laughs> We'll one. let you You end. get one and this is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they, everyone was kind of okay with them getting divorced. Yeah. Even though people liked Anne, they thought she was nice and, like, I'm sure she was a lovely a fine woman. queen and she was really friendly, even though she didn't... Like, as much as she could with the English she spoke, she was really nice to everyone and grateful this to be there. This poor woman was pulled out of her country to marry a guy and then didn't end up staying married to him. I know. She was really nice to his kids. Aww. Yeah. She ended up becoming really good friends with both of the princesses. I don't know if she had a relationship with Edward, but yeah. I assume so. Um, but yeah, her final appearance as royal concert was d- consort was during the May Day celebrations. And the funny thing about that is in late April, her dowry had just come through. Oh, they're like, oh, never mind. I wonder if they returned it. Maybe. I don't know. So she agreed readily to the annulment. Um, she had seen from Catherine of Aragon what could happen if you don't agree to a divorce from <laughs> Henry VIII. But the entire time, she was nothing but cordial and cooperative. She agreed that the marriage had never been consummated. And she signed all the necessary documents, and Henry was so grateful that she was so accommodating that, in return, he deemed that Anne was to be given precedence over all the ladies in England, except the queen and the king's daughters, and she was to be known as the king's good sister, and received manors and estates, some of which belonged to Thomas Cromwell. I'm not sure if this was before or after Henry executed him. Oof. I don't know. Um, But this guaranteed her an income of £3,000 a year, making her one of the wealthiest women in England. And all of this depended on her remaining in England. So she wrote to her brother that the king's highness, whom I cannot have as a husband, is nevertheless a most kind, loving, and friendly father and brother. Uh, She got to enjoy something very few women of the time could enjoy because of all this, which is a wealthy and independent life. Wow, I yeah. love that for her. She had money and she didn't need a husband to give it to her. I love that. She just I got to that. do whatever she wanted. I'm so happy for her. Yeah. And she never had to sleep with Henry. No. <laughs> <laughs> she grew to enjoy English ale and gambling, which, remember, she didn't know how to play cards when she first... <laughs> she had to be taught how to play cards on the boat ride there, and now she's a gambler, so wow. good for her. <laughs> I, love, I love a woman earning her own money. <laughs> she spent large sums of money on gowns she became good friends with both of the king's daughters she was treated as a royal and answered to no male authority but the king and the king just honestly left her alone the rest of their life so she didn't really answer to any male authority what a good life i know she was free to do whatever she wanted she'd never married anyone else which why should she no she shouldn't and I'm sure there were people who thought of her as like, oh, maybe I'll marry her. But although I'm sure she, I wonder if she could after France. I wonder if she was like, okay, we got to yeah, get rid really. of that pre-contract. Yeah, what happened guy. to the pre-contract? I don't know. Her final public appearance was at Mary Tudor's coronation in 1553, riding alongside the Princess Elizabeth. She died in 1557 of a declining illness and was buried at Westminster Abbey, which is a big deal. A lot of royals are buried there. The king himself is not. He's buried with Anne somewhere else, but like... You mean Jane. Yeah, he's buried with Jane Seymour somewhere else, but... Like, I think... That is a really big deal. A lot of the Tudors are buried at Westminster. Yeah, like, they're the most... big deal royals. The most significant people in history, in English history, are buried at Westminster. And her grave is marked Anne of Cleves, Queen of England. Aww. Born 1515, but died 1557. And she lived three years past Henry's death and outlived all of his wives. 
Good for her. She wasn't the oldest, technically. Like, technically, Catherine of Aragon lived to be 51, and Anne of Cleves was only 42. Mm. Which, oh my gosh, people did not live long back then. They did not. No wonder they got <laughs> married at 15. But she technically was, like, the last survivor. <laughs> I'm a survivor. survivor. <laughs> <laughs> and to demonstrate how nice she was, she left gifts to every single person who served her her entire life, no matter how humble or long ago. Aww. They all got something in her will. That's so Which is sweet. like, you're such a Hufflepuff! Oh my god, so giving. That's I love so you! And such a Virgo, too. Such um, a Virgo. And her motto was, God send me well to keep, which, I feel like I've heard that phrase a lot, but I like looked up officially what it meant, and it means God send me the strength to, the strength and love to help me endure. Aww. Which she did! She, she did. She agreed to marry a guy that was rumored to be very scary and murder his wives and he was old and gross and she never had to sleep with him thank goodness and she got all that money i know everyone considers her to be of his six wives the one that had the best deal i agree she just got in there got out a lot of people consider her really lucky that she never had to deal with henry's quote-unquote wrath yeah she never like he was just like nice to her and let her go absolutely she's very lucky yeah i was like good, good for her person and, she and then she just it. lived it up at she her did. Pa- at her palace in richmond i can only hope life. my life will be that good <laughs> i know and that's anne of cleves yeah okay so jane i do have a new surprise for you Ooh, what's that i have a new reddit segment <gasps> than the one we originally recorded that i like a lot better so r slash too afraid to ask I thought this would be a nice follow-up to my episode, to what I covered in our last episode, climate change, which is uh-huh. someone asked on Reddit, are there any positive effects to climate change? Oh. Which is a really huge debate, and a lot of conservative media will be like, yes, yeah, scientists say there are a ton of positive effects, which is not really true in that a ton of scientists say that. There's like maybe three, like major scientists. I feel like I'm, I don't hear conservatives being like, Climate change is good. I feel it more like being like, it's not real. Who's gonna miss polar bears? I'm like, well, I'm gonna. That's terrible. (laughs) Who doesn't like polar bears? We'll live without penguins. I'm like, listen. But will we? Because everything affects the ecosystem. Yeah, biodiversity is important. Anyway, I haven't really looked into how we're gonna survive without the penguins. But are there positive effects to climate change? No. (laughs) Is the the short answer. (laughs) The... In the case of climate change, the way the climate is changing, there will be far more, as far as humans go, like, changes to humans. Because, again, the Earth has had climate change happen a million times over, and there's always been adaptation. As far as human survival, no, there aren't really positive effects to climate change. It's very dangerous for us as humans and many other species. Yeah. Like, that that is the true facts of it. And the cons far outweigh any pros the most noticeable positive effect of climate change would really only affect america which you know americans can only think about america so of course they're like it's a positive thing is that excuse me because the climate is warming the growing season in middle america is going to become longer so there there's a longer quote frost free season which means things can grow for longer periods of time Mm -hmm. and that will positively impact the miles and miles of landscape in the middle of america that's dedicated to growing things and Mm -hmm. agriculture but just for america that's not a global agriculture agricultural phenomenon that will Mm -hmm. happen it'll just be middle america positive effect Longer growing season can grow more things. Okay. That's the most per that's the most poignant positive. Okay. That's, that's been happening. The growing season has been longer. But again, the negative far outweighs yeah, the positive. Yeah, I was like, so there you go, you know. Yeah, good for America only. Like <laughs> many cons. Right. Good for America only. So that's it. That's the positive. So now you know. I thought that was a nice follow up. To approaching the other side of a topic <laughs> I'm very passionate about. Anyway, Judith Clark. So, in the end of the last episode, I made a mistake. I was like, I think she's a Zionist protester. She was not a Zionist protester. She was a protester. Uh-huh. Not a Zionist one, but she is mm-hmm. Jewish. So, Jane, pretend you don't know any of this. Does the sound of me wiping my mind. I loved it. 
Who is Judith Clark? I know nothing about her. <laughs> Tell me more. Judith Alice Clark was a left-wing extremist in the 1960s and 70s who drove the getaway car with the Black Liberation Army during the Brinks robbery in 1981. And I'll explain what all of those words mean later. <laughs> but I want to start with a rant, which is that when you look up Judith Clark's name, when you Google her, the first thing that comes up is her Wikipedia bio, which calls her, quote, an American domestic terrorist. Now, I want you to remember that she was a liberal extremist. Yeah. Female, white, female, Jewish, liberal extremist. When you Google Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook shooter, no mention of domestic terrorism. James Alex Fields Jr., who killed Heather Heyer, is only referenced to as a terrorist by Rational Wiki, which, yes, is a thing, and it's literally, like, Wikipedia if everyone made sense. And, like, for decent people, <laughs> which makes me laugh. Um, the UNC shooter from this past week, um, no mention of domestic terrorism in his attack. Um, the Columbine shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, have never been referred to as domestic terrorists. Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooter, is not referred to historically as a domestic terrorist. Um, historically, as in, like, official news sources have never yeah. called him that. I'm not counting what people say on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, the, often people on Twitter are right. And yet, the Pulse shooter, Omar Mateen, the first sentence in his Wikipedia bio calls him an American domestic terrorist. And Judith Clark, same, a Jewish left-wing extremist, also called a domestic American terrorist. So I just think that there's a huge double standard going double on. Double standard. That's so frustrating. Yeah. And I just think there's a huge double standard going on where yes. um, in the case of non-white shooters and liberal yeah. extremists, you know, the conservatives are very quick to be like, yeah, they were domestic terrorists. But in the case of young white men and holding automatic rifles... Assault rifles? Yeah. And no, they're troubled young men, you know? Like, it's so, it's so unbelievably frustrating. Um, and I just want to take a moment to bring up that that, that, that doubled standard exists. Um, but we'll move on. Life and times, Judith Clark. Um, okay, so Judith Clark was born in America, but from ages one to four lived in the Soviet Union. And her parents were members of the American Communist Party, which really influenced the, her mindset and her political ideas and really influenced her life. At age 14, she became active in the civil rights movement, participating in a New York City-wide boycott calling for equality and education. Mm -hmm. In high school, she was a member of the Student Congress of Racial Equality, so she was very interested in social justice, specifically racial equality, and her drive for that to happen would inform her decisions for many, many years. She attended the University of Chicago, and while she was there, she participated in Days of Rage, which was a series of radical events that happened over the course of three days to protest the Vietnam War, and some of them were violent. Like, include, like they made... They put bombs in malls and things like that. Oh, like, no. Crazy, violent, radical steps taken to provoke outrage over the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. um, she attended this riot as a member of the Weather Underground Organization, which is an extremist organization whose goal was, quote, to create a revolutionary party to overthrow U.S. imperialism. And they were also an influential black power group in Chicago. And the WUO is like a very famous extremist organization to this day. They don't still exist, but they are notorious in many ways. Um, throughout, after, at the end of Days of Rage... 250 people were arrested, including Clark, and she served nine months in prison and did not finish her degree at University of Chicago. In the 1970s, the WUO dissolved, um, and Clark independently pursued radical protests and being a member of extremist organizations um, with the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army until the formation of the May 19th Communist Organization in New York, which was an isolated group still dedicated to the anti-imperialist movement in a time when many were moving on. So by the mid-70s, people were like, we're never going to, like, outrage over the war had kind of subsided as the war was coming to a close. Yeah. And, yeah. This organization was trying to build a people's militia to fight the corrupt government and was focused specifically on armed action. And they, the name May 19th derives from the birthdays of Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X and sort of their ideas on how, yeah. like, a revolution will happen in order to create racial equality. Yeah. 
Um, so on October 20th, 1981, a group of six Black Liberation Army members and four May 19th community organization members stole $1.6 million in cash from a Brinks armored car. Ha, from a Brinks armored car at the Nanuit Mall in Nanuit, New York. Um, Which I've never seen one in real life. I feel like in superhero movies, like someone's always trying to steal one. I know. And I'm, it's like a thing you see regularly. Maybe we can't, maybe you can't tell that they're armored from the outside. Ooh, do you think they, like, disguise them as, like, this truck is carrying? Yeah, they're just, like, designed to look like something. They're just designed to look like a regular truck, and you don't know until you try to, like, get into it that it's armored. Yeah, that's smart. I don't know. I know nothing about the building of cars. So the six BLA members jumped two Brinks guards as they loaded the money from the mall into the truck. Um, Security guard Peter Page was killed in this scuffle, in this gunfight. Um, and then they hopped into the first truck and fled the scene to a nearby parking lot where two vehicles were waiting. A yellow Honda driven by Judith Clark and a U-Haul truck driven by Kathy Boudin. Um, I would just like to take a minute <laughs> to say that the other security guard loading stuff into the truck. Um, his name was Trumbino and he survived this gunfight over the armored truck, the armored car. Um then he survived the the nineteen ninety three World Trade Center bombing, only to die on nine eleven while making a delivery in the North Tower. Like ah, you told me about this last time, but it still blows my it's mind. It's still like shocking. Like that is so there's like some weird foreshadowing with that. Like, I don't know. That man must have had a purpose that he needed to make it to 2001. Like, I don't yeah. even. It's so like that. That really blew my mind, and it's so that was so like shocking that 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 all of these events happened to him. That it's in the like intro paragraph on Wikipedia. Wow. Yeah, but he's a time traveler. Maybe like keeps going back to these events to try and stop them. Maybe. <gasps> Ooh, that'd be a good plot for a movie. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> so a college student spotted the BLA and May 19th organizations like transferring the money from the armored car into the U-Haul mm-hmm. um, in the parking lot because they lived across the street from it. And they were notified the police like, hey, there are people here like distributing money (laughs) they were like oh those are probably the people that just robbed them all so the police pursued them and they pulled over the two vehicles at the entrance to the new york state thruway um approaching the vehicles the specifically the u-haul with guns drawn but there was some confusion because they were told that the robbers were black but the drivers and the visible people were all white which was a specific plan yeah like they knew that's what was gonna happen so kathy boudin and then two two may 19th organization members are sitting next to her and everyone else is in the back of her car and judith clark was driving ahead of them and she stopped just ahead of them so the police approach with guns drawn but kathy manages to like calm the police and be like i'm sorry officers like i don't know what you're talking about being very cooperative up front in order to get the guards to (laughs) lower their guard or get the police to lower their guard (laughs) and when they did lower their gun she gave this no and the six black liberation army members jumped from the back of the u-haul and began firing and they killed two officers officer waverly brown and officer edward o'grady um and then after this scuffle or in the middle of the scuffle they all scattered and two of them jumped into judith clark's yellow honda and fled the scene um, but they, a police chase ensued, um, and they crashed, making a sharp turn, and were arrested. And it is said that when they made the sharp turn, and Clark has admitted to this, her she did have a gun that was loaded in the dashboard of her car, and she had pulled it out, but making the sharp turn, the gun flew away from her, so she could no longer reach it. And the officer said that Judith was reaching for the gun when she apprehended them. Okay. So supposedly Clark would have shot this officer. Um, so Clark was charged with three counts of felony murder and was tried with David Gilbert and Kowasi Balagoon, who were the two that jumped into the car with her. Okay. Um, they were a part of the gunfight. They did fire at the police when Clark did not, although she did reach for a gun. Um, the three of them, they were tried together, refused to be represented by counsel and instead represented themselves. And apparently they refused to behave in court. And because of this, their disorderly conduct, they had to sit in cells in the courtroom basement where the trial was broadcast over a speaker. So they could only listen to their trial. They could not see it. 
Um, which, and there was no standby counsel appointed to represent them while they were in the cells, which later they tried to make an appeal being like, my trial was like unethical and it was unconstitutional because I was not represented by counsel because I was put in the basement, whatever. But essentially the like courts were like, no, you chose to represent yourself and then you chose to misbehave. Um, and they were present for everything that would have been their moment to testify. Yeah. But they just like. They couldn't see everything. And, like, because they represented themselves, there was no place for objection. Like, it was all very yeah. wishy-washy. But people were so horrified by what they had done, and they were so anti their actions that there was, like, no overturning what had happened. I feel like that always goes wrong. Whenever people choose to represent themselves, it never goes well. It literally never goes well. It's never gone well. Um, each of them was sentenced to three consecutive 25-to-life sentences. So, at minimum, wow. 75 years. Um, Kathy Bunan, the U-Haul driver, uh, formed a plea deal and pled guilty to a single count of felony murder, receiving a life sentence of 20 years to life. She was released. She was paroled after 22 years. Okay. Uh, Judith Clark has been in Bedford Hills Correctional Facility since 1983. In 1985, she was implicated in a possible escape attempt and was put in solitary confinement for two years. And during this time in solitary confinement, she began a process of self-reflection, which led her to ultimately renounce her status as a political activist and prisoner and Uh. issue a public apology for the crime. So since that, she was like, I'm reforming my life. I am changing my ways. Yeah. In 1990, Clark earned her bachelor's degree from Mercy College and was their valedictorian. And they said that they gave her speech, but, like, how? <laughs> she didn't... Did they let her out of prison to go to her graduation? Because Skype didn't exist. Maybe they filmed it ahead of time and then, like, played it on it. Maybe. Yeah, I have no idea. In 1993... In, they played it over the speaker. Maybe. I don't know. In 1993, Clark earned a master's degree in psychology from Vermont College, and she is currently working on her EDD in psychology and theology. She might be done with that by now. It didn't Mm. say when she started that. Um, She was one of the first two prisoners in New York State to receive her chaplain certification after completing three years of clinical pastoral education, and she also worked as a chaplain's assistant at the correctional facility for seven years. In 1987, Clark, along with Kathy Boudin, they were imprisoned together, um, helped found and develop the curriculum. (laughs) They were roommates. Um, We're quoting a vine. We don't know that they were roommates. (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) Um, Helped found and develop the curriculum for the AIDS Counseling and Education Program in prison. They both published significant essays on their work on peer-to-peer support and education in the wake of the AIDS epidemic. Um, which was very prevalent at the time, which I think is really nice. Like, that's good work to be doing. Clark was also instrumental in bringing a college program to Bedford Hills in 1996, through which more than 100 prisoners have graduated, and she has acted as a personal, like, mentor and kind of college advisor to many of them. Clark teaches prenatal and parenting classes as a staff member of the nursery program at Bedford Hills. She is an avid writer and was featured in the 2003 documentary, What I Want My Word to Do to You, which is about a writing workshop Eve Ensler led at Bedford Hills. Love her. Yeah, great woman. Her writing has been published in The New Yorker, The Prison Journal, and other anthologies of prison writing, and she has won awards for it. She is also a member of the Puppies Behind Bars program, (gasps) through which inmates raise and train puppies to become guide dogs, explosive detection dogs, and service dogs. Such good boys. In 2010, represented by attorney Sarah Bennett, Clark petitioned Governor Patterson for clemency. More than 900 people wrote in letters of support, including Elaine Lord, the superintendent of Bedford Hills, for the first 22 years of Clark's imprisonment. Oh. Yeah. Lord wrote, I watched her change into one of the most perceptive, thoughtful, helpful, and profound human beings that I have ever known, either inside or outside of a prison. Wow. Yeah. She wrote, she, her clemency was denied. People were like, no, she's a menace to society. She's a terrorist. All the things conservative people say about liberal I mean, extremists. what she did was wrong. What she did was wrong. She shouldn't have helped people kill people. But I'll tell you now what Governor Cuomo says. So she wrote again in 2016, and Governor Andrew Cuomo commuted her sentence to 35 years to life. And that was because Cuomo said that the purpose of the prison system should be rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, and... Also, that she shouldn't have been tried with two men who had their hands in the gunfight that committed mm-hmm. the murders. And especially, she was not present for one of the murders, so she had she could have had no influence over how those actions went. Yeah. Um, and she was 
she did not have a direct hand in the gunfights. Um, mm-hmm. But he said, like, her ability to show remorse and show acts of rehabilitation was important into bringing down her sentence. Um, In 2016, in December 2016, Clark became eligible for parole. She was denied in April 2017 because the board believed she was, quote, still a symbol of violent and terroristic crime. But she was granted parole on April 17, 2019, and is set to be released on May 15, 2019, a week from when this episode comes out. Wow. Yeah. Her release has been an absolute outrage to conservatives sure. and family members of the victims. Um, the family members of the victims are like, this is a slap in the face for my family member that I lost. Like, um, you let this person go th- go free. Um, I mean, I kind of understand, but also... Right. However, others involved in the shooting yeah, were the more direct saying, hand yeah. in the violence of that day um, have had less harsh sentences. Like, Kathy Boudin, yes, she made a plea deal, but she was she was driving the u-haul she yeah. distracted the police and she has been out since 2003 so and she has never publicly repented the crime mm. as well and also she's an adjunct in columbia so she got a good job um other radical females convicted of similar crimes in this era have been pardoned and their sentences reduced or paroled much earlier so a precedent for her release does exist um also gilbert who was one of the people that she was tried with still believes all their actions were justified and necessary for the Mm. cause they were fighting so the contrast of the two of them has led people to be like look at this terrible man this that's not really what they're saying they're like look at this man he has no remorse no sympathy he is serving 75 years to life how is that equal to a woman who has shown sympathy she wrote letters yeah. in 2002 apologizing to all the family members she has done a lot of work to do good in her life to make yes. up for what she has done the like, puppies also essentially people are kind of using the same excuse that they use with like young white men which is like she's 69 years old and they're like she yeah. should she has done so much good and she has shown that she will continue to do good and has tried to reform her ways like let her live out the rest of her life with her family um also like this is a personal opinion we cannot say that if this was a right-wing extremist that the same opposers would not be making the argument that clark supporters are saying that she like still has some life ahead of her and like has been rehabilitated it's just like it's just like very frustrating it's just people being hypocritical when it's like the other side you know how old was she when she when it happened she was born in 1969. We went to Oh, she the was moon born in 1960. <laughs> no. She was born in 1949. She is 69, almost 70 now. So she was born in 1949 and it was 1981. So she was 32. Okay. Yeah. She was an adult yeah. when it happened. Also, I think that because she had a record, like she was in prison as part of Days of Rage and like mm-hmm. the protesters, especially the extremist protesters of Vietnam, were seen as such a threat in a time when Republicans were in power mm-hmm. that people felt threatened. They were like, yeah, this, these, this, these organizations are violent and want to do violent things and don't care about who gets hurt, which was a real threat at the time. Not so much a threat now. Like, I think the concern for a very long time was that she could come out, she could come out of jail, rejoin one of those organizations, begin again. But there aren't, that that threat, that left-wing extremist threat isn't so prevalent anymore. Yeah. Meanwhile, the white supremacist threat is very real, but. Yeah, when you said, when you were saying like a group that is causing violence, my brain went the NRA. Right. Like that's, but that's the opposite end of yeah. the political spectrum. Like, if this was someone who was a member, a violent member of the NRA, would the same people opposing Clark's release be saying, "No, they can't get out because they're still a violent threat to society"? I don't know. Yeah, I think they they might very well say no. They're standing up for what they believe in. So I don't know. There's a lot of hypocrisy in all of this, but. N- in general, there is a, like, the New York Times published an article that didn't say, like, yay, Judith Clark is released, but I definitely had a very, like, this is all the stuff Clark has done in her time yeah. in prison. Like, this is how long she has served. She served 36 years. 37. Yeah, she'll serve 30, almost 37 by the time of her release. So. 
that's that. That is the life of Judith Clark. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Jane, for doing this doing this twice. Oh, you thank you for doing this twice. Of course. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can donate to us on Patreon. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating. It would mean the world to us um, to help ease the financial burden of producing this podcast. <laughs> Putting in all our work. It would mean a lot. That's patreon.com slash YKWIBW Podcast. And you will get presents for doing so. <laughs> um, you can email us I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com if you have something you've been wondering we would love to know what that thing is. Yes. Fill up our inbox. Please. I want to get emails. Yeah Jane really just wants to respond to an email. We've gotten one and it was from Philippa. It's <laughs> <laughs> very supportive but we want to hear more. Um, so if please Philippa consider to email us again. I wouldn't even complain at that. Yeah. I'd Philippa love email to hear us again. <laughs> Philippa email us again. Laurel texted me the other day with a suggestion and I responded excuse me if you could forward all suggestions to our email (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious that'd be great thanks Thanks. you can check out our website I've been wondering.com we post fun stuff on there and you can find us on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher all the good places please consider leaving us a five star review on iTunes it means the world to us it really helps us out. It really does. Yeah, it makes it makes our day. And we hope you make your wen- we make your Wednesday. So make our day by <laughs> leaving us a review in return. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I just pointed at Jane. <laughs> do you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? Why do people think the moon landing was fake? I don't know, but I'm happy to find out. <laughs> I love conspiracy theories. You know I do. I know. that I knew you'd be happy to tell me about it. I know. I love covering conspiracy theory. I will be happy. This is like very fake because she's already asked me this. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew. I already Googled it. <laughs> yes, I'm ha- I will be happy to tell you about the moon landing when we record much earlier than next Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Jane. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering, Sarah? I thought about giving you a new topic and just... No, I feel like I should do it. I feel like yeah. I'm, I've committed you know, you in know my mind already. So I do not know nearly enough about the Vietnam War. Because in college, we spent too much time, especially in AP US history, we spent too much time on the American Revolution you know, and the Gilded Age. in college. And so we didn't budget enough time to get to the Vietnam War. So we <laughs> stopped like right before. And so I don't really know what caused it. I had no idea it was as long as it was. And I don't know how it came to... It didn't officially end. But I don't know how we got to the point where we were like, we are withdrawing our troops. Because yeah. America considers it a defeat. I just need to know more about the politics of it. I know yeah. I know a lot socially about the Vietnam War. Yeah. Like I know how America changed after it and all of that. I don't know politically enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. All right. That is everything. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> this is Thank you, babies. <laughs> You're so kind. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. <laughs>